said these things to her. Well, thank you to Phil for reading that for us this morning. If I had to, to title the question this morning, it might be one of two things. It might be, uh, why is everybody standing around? Or the other title might just be the word stay. And I'll explain that to you for, uh, for just a minute. I can remember um, when my father was very sick. He was nearing the end of his life. He was dealing with cancer. I was a small boy. And I can remember him at night. I could, I could remember a time when he was praying. And he asked for more time. He just asked for more time. If he just could have, you know, first, perhaps I guess he would have thought a year. At some point that became a month. At some point it may have become a week. And I I can remember one day when he was very, very sick, lying on a bed in our living room, which was where he was going to stay until uh, eventually they took him away to die at a hospital, that he was just wanting one more day. He wanted to stay. Mary, on this day, Mary Magdalene, when she comes to the tomb, she would have been one of those on the other side of that thought. She would have been one of those like the twelve and like the other women who had gathered, the people that were disciples and followers of Jesus, that would have seen him hanging on a cross just a few days earlier. And their thought before he went through that ugly trial and that brutal process of, of crucifixion, their thought would have been if he could stay just a little while longer. And as Jesus on this day is supposed to be in a tomb and is supposed to be his body laid away by, by Joseph of Arimathea as Mary Magdalene and some other women come to the tomb to complete the task of embalming. I am sure that what was going through their mind was if only he could have stayed a little while longer. Now that, that word stay is something I want you to think about. When I was back in high school in 1978, there was a group, a rock and roll group. Actually, it was the front man named Jackson Brown. And he sang a song called Stay. I'd play it for you, but we can't put it out off the internet without getting in trouble. Most of you here know that song. You know, it's Stay Just a Little Bit Longer. And I, I know that as having been Jackson Brown's song, but the reality is it wasn't Jackson Brown's song at all. It was written by a guy named Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs, and they sang it in 1960. In fact, there have been at least 36 groups that have sung that song and put it out there in a variety of ways. The Four Seasons, Ricky Henderson, Bruce Springsteen, Boys to Men. And just that last December, uh, some group I've never heard of, maybe you have, called the Bikini Wipeouts. But it was the word, it was the song, Stay! Stay! It was a tribute when, when Jackson Brown sang it to his fans and to the roadies who took care of setting up and tearing down. And he asked the audience in that song to stay, to just stay a little bit longer. He enjoyed playing his music and being in that situation so much. One of the lines in the song says this, When the last guitar has been packed away, you know that I still want to play, so just make sure you got it all set to go before you come for my piano. Now on this day, which was the first day of the week, I am sure that Mary comes with the idea being, I wish he could have stayed longer, 
But since he's God, I'm going to prepare his body well for in death. Let's read again these verses one at a time. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That was John. And she said to them, They've taken my Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Now we don't know who they were. Presumably presumably it was the Roman soldiers. Presumably it could have been anyone. But she said, Someone's taken his body and where his body is now, we do not know. And Peter, who had that impulsiveness, the scripture says Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they went toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but but John outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And when John got there, he stooped to look in, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. And when Simon Peter came following him, Simon Peter went into the tomb, and he saw those cloths lying there. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, was folded up in a place by itself. And then John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And it says that he saw and believed. Now make no mistake, what John believed and what Peter believed was that Jesus was dead. When they walked in and saw, they believed that the body was missing. When they walked in and believed, they had no idea, in spite of the fact that Jesus had mentioned many times that he would rise from the dead, they had no idea, no understanding of what had truly happened. And it says in the ninth verse, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so those disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stayed. When Peter and John ran to the tomb, they left and went back to their homes. Mary, who originally had showed up there, had run out of there and come back with them. As they left and went back to their homes, Mary stayed. The scripture says in the 11th verse that she stood outside the tomb. And as she stood outside that tomb, she wept. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they asked her the question, Woman, why do you weep? And she responded to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing But she did not know that it was Jesus. You know, when Mary asked the question or made the statement, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've placed him, this was God's answer to Mary. It was Jesus standing there right next to her. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking And she, supposing him to have been the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And here in this 16th verse comes that magical moment when Jesus speaks. Jesus simply says to Mary her name. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And the scripture says she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but to my brothers. Go and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary then, Mary Magdalene then, went away and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The church, why, when Peter and John went back to their homes, what kept Mary standing outside of that tomb? What moved her to stay as opposed to go back with Peter and John? What made Mary's circumstance different than theirs to the point that she would stay and meet the risen Lord? I want to focus in on one verse that we've read today. It was the 11th verse. And that 11th verse is pretty simple. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Church, don't miss it. Mary is in grief. But more importantly, church, don't miss that Mary is standing there for some reason. She didn't run away like she did when she first encountered the empty tomb. She didn't return to her home as Peter and John had. She simply stood. She somehow knew instinctively that there was something more that was going to take place. You know, I can tell you from from 35 years of preaching funeral services, that one of the hardest things for families to do is to go to the cemetery and to have a committal service, which is really the final goodbye to their loved one. It's the hardest thing for them to figure out how to leave, how to go. They want to stay longer. It seems like there should be something more. And Mary, for her, there seems to her, it appears, that there should be something more. She wanted one more moment, perhaps one more glimpse of the master. Maybe Mary expected more from God. Maybe Mary expected more from Jesus. But the crucifixion had slammed that door shut, and it seemed that there was nothing more to be had. And let me be clear with you, when Mary got to that tomb and the body was missing, when the grave was empty, That was simply an insult to the injury that Mary had endured. They'd not only killed him, but it seemed that now they were desecrating him further. And so Mary stands outside of the tomb of Jesus. You know, the word that that John uses here in this gospel for standing simply means to occupy a place or a location. I am standing here today. You are there. You are placed right where you are. But theologically, the word has some significance. You remember back in uh, the early part of Luke, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, it, it says that when he was announced that there was going to be the birth of John the Baptist, it says an angel of the Lord stood on the right side of the altar of incense. That, that angel was right there. When, when the star appeared in the sky as the Magi came looking for Jesus, listen to how Matthew says it. That after the, the, the kings had heard the king, they departed, and the star which they had seen in the east went before them, and it came and stood over the place where Jesus was. There are many incidences in the Gospels where people and things are placed in a location at a certain time, at a certain place, for a certain reason, by God. 
And it begs the question, did Mary stand at the tomb that day on her home? Was it random circumstance? Or had God engineered her life in such a way that it is in fact Mary Magdalene that's standing at that tomb? Mary wasn't simply in the right place at the right time by chance. Mary was in the right place at the right time because God set her and stood her in that place at the right time. Now it would seem to me that God would choose the men closest to him. Remember, of the two that showed up that day according to John, Peter and John had been with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. John is identified as the one whom Jesus loved. It would seem to me that if Jesus was going to make a momentous uh, announcement of his resurrection, that he was alive, that death had not won, he would make it to Peter and to John, perhaps to James. But it's Mary that is placed in that location. It is Mary who took the time to stop and place herself outside the location where Jesus' body was supposed to be. Just days before, the scripture says, the chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing Jesus. People will stand and be placed in certain locations for a variety of reasons. Those priests had stood there to destroy him, and they had stood for the duration of his trial to accuse him. There was nothing that would satiate their desire that would move them from that location other than the death of Jesus Christ. After Jesus is placed on the cross, at the ninth hour, Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the scripture says, some of those standing there heard those words and said he calls for Elijah. That crowd that gathered that day, what placed them there? What placed them? Were they there simply to see the crucifixion? Simply to see what happened? Mary and the other woman, Jesus' mother, they gathered there because it was someone they loved. They were standing there. Why were they there? On one occasion, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was casting out demons, the scripture says this, and I want you to hear it. He had cast out demons, was performing miracles and teaching, and he had gone into a house. And Matthew tells us while he was still speaking to the people, his mother and his brothers stood outside. They didn't come in. They stood outside, and they asked to see Jesus. Some have said that if they could have gotten Jesus to come out, they would have hauled him away because he seemed to be out of his mind. What led them to stand, to be placed in that location at that time, to call on their son and their brother? And you'll remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh, please get this. Remember the Pharisee said, I tithe, I do all the good, I'm a good person, I do wonderful things. And the scripture says uh, about this, or rather the Pharisee said that, that this tax collector stood at a distance from Jesus and said, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. That tax collector was the guy that sits in the back of the church that comes late and leaves early, doesn't want to shake anybody's hand, but has a clear understanding of what it means to worship Jesus. He comes not out of any sense of his own worth, but he sets himself in God's presence because of God's worth. There were times when Jesus taught from a boat, and the scripture says the crowd stood. Luke tells us when Jesus healed the ten lepers, that those ten lepers stood far off. 
They were there to seek a healing. And as they stood far off, Jesus healed them. There was a woman who we think was Mary Magdalene, who came and the Bible says she stood behind Jesus and when she got in front of him, she washed his feet with an alabaster box of ointment and her hair. Many people stand for many reasons. The book of Revelation tells us in the seventh chapter that a great throng of every tribe, nation, and tongue will one day stand before the throne of Jesus and they will sing. Church, even hear this. When Jesus was tempted, when he was placed through the temptation, the scripture tells us that Satan stood Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. People stand for many reasons, are placed in places for many purposes, but on this day, it's Mary who's standing there. It's Mary is the one that is standing there outside the tomb. And Jesus speaks in the 14th verse, and when he spoke... Her name, she turned and saw Jesus. She didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus is standing right beside her. She doesn't know that it's Jesus. Church, understand Jesus mattered to Mary Magdalene. Scripture tells us that she was a supporter of Jesus and the disciples. You may ask why. Well, if you are a student of Scripture, you know that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Mary had a good reason to be a follower of Jesus. Seven demons. Scripture says she traveled with Jesus, supported these disciples, was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified and died. For Mary, the death of Jesus meant something. And you will get something of who Mary is in her own words. Because her words to the disciples are these. They've taken his body. She tells the angels in the tomb, I don't know where they've placed him. And she tells Jesus, who she doesn't recognize, that she doesn't know where they've laid him. Church, hear me good. If there's anything for Mary that's worse than seven demons possessing her, it would be to lose the Christ who had the power to deliver her from them. For Mary, if there was anything worse than Jesus being crucified and dying, it was to see his body missing from where it was supposed to be. Mary has had a bad day, her worst day, and on this early morning, things aren't looking good for the third. Church, if you've ever seen the Passion movie, Mel Gibson's portrayal of the crucifixion, you know that Jesus is portrayed as being beaten beyond recognition. When you read the gospel account, you have to believe that that's what it looked like. How could he possibly have been that unrecognizable to Mary on this morning? She had spent three years of her life with Jesus. How could she not know that it was him? And as she stands there in her grief, and she stands in her confusion, and she stands not knowing where to turn next or who to turn to, the one she seeks is actually standing right next to her. And church, that brings me to my bottom line. When you stand in the worst that this world has done, it can blind you to the very best that God can do. Hear me. Mary was blinded by a trial. Mary was blinded by a crucifixion. Mary was blinded by his death. Mary was possessed by so much negativity, so much that she could not see her resurrected Lord. 
Sometimes, church, when all we see is how bad it is, we are blinded to see how good God is. Sometimes, church, when our focus is on the trials we have to endure, we can't see the deliverance that God brings. Sometimes, church, when all we see are the nails and the hammers, we miss the stone that's been rolled away without explanation. Sometimes, church, we are so wrapped up in the negative that we miss the positive. And sometimes, church, when we are standing in the presence of the greatest of in all of creation we can be blinded by the momentary insignificant trial that is taking all of our attention in our little world when we stand in the worst we risk missing God's best standing in the worst this world has can blind us to the best that God can do church in the book of Psalms the 30th Psalm the psalmist writes these words You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, my my mourning clothes, my grief clothes, and turned them into garments of gladness. Church, that's what God does. That's what Jesus does. Mary should have been looking for it. Mary should have known those disciples that ran in the tomb. They should have realized what was going to take place. But they missed it all by being caught up in the bad circumstances that they had just lived through. You will recall that one day Jesus goes back to Nazareth to his hometown and he walks into the synagogue and he picks up a scroll. And he reads from that scroll these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, the 61st chapter. But he doesn't read what's next. Believe me, everybody hearing him would have known what came next. Church, hear what comes next. To give, to appoint to those that mourn in Zion, listen, to give them beauty for ashes, to give them the oil of joy for mourning, to give them the garment of praise for their heaviness, so that they can be called trees of righteousness. Church, that's what God does. He always gives us beauty for ashes. He always gives us oil for mourning, oil of joy for mourning. He always gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so very often we stand in the worst this world has done, and it blinds us to the best that God can do. Church, we're in a parking lot today. Some of you woke up this morning and you thought, man, I wish we weren't in a parking lot today. Some of you have been here with me for over a year and you've thought to yourselves, this can't keep going on. Some of you have lived through some of the worst days of your life these last couple of months. I know who you are. Some of you, while we've been out here, have faced cancer, the death of those you loved, circumstances that you could never imagine. In church, I want to tell you, those things matter to Jesus, but they aren't the most important thing we not need to see. We need to see... That when Jesus Christ was dead and buried, when he was crucified and beat beyond recognition and placed into an empty tomb, that when his disciples got there and when Mary got there, the worst that had happened was blinding them to the best that had occurred. Because Jesus had conquered death. 
He had walked out of the grave. He had placed his body in one location and rose up and conquered death. And on that third day, on that first Easter Sunday morning, as Mary Magdalene came to the tomb looking for a dead body, Jesus gave her a risen Lord. In church, in our circumstances, no matter how bad they can be, no matter how difficult they are, that is the message of Jesus. And the message for us today is that because he lives, we shall live also. Church, Easter gives us that message. He turns our mourning into joy. He turns our sadness into laughter. He turns death into life. And he turns graves into gardens.